Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and sadly Dilly is out this week. But lucky for you, dear listener, we have someone special with us to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. This week, we're joined by novelist, presenter and speaker Kate Muser. Originally from California, Kate has spent a total of 18 years in Germany, with much of her career being spent at Deutsche Welle, where she created the fantastic web series Meet the Germans, which she also presented. Kate now has a debut novel out, The Girl with 20 Fingers, from Blackwater Press and available at bookshop.org, US and UK Amazon, and the LaserZeiten website. Hey, Kate, how are you doing? Hey, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. I feel so honored to, to join you on this show, and especially with Dilly out, I feel like absolutely I cannot fill those shoes. So thanks for having me. There's no pressure to replace Dilly, but um, also there's a lot of pressure to replace Dilly. No, it's totally fine. I'm really, I'm really glad you could come on. There's a lot of really uh, interesting you. topics, especially coming from the, the the book you've written, and also some other parental topics that will um, scratch a certain itch that I have about complaining about kids and and, and so on and so forth. You've been talking about a kindergarten on the show, and I've been be, I've been listening and feeling like, <laughs> yes, I get it, I get it. Oh yeah, we'll definitely get into that, but I'm I'm. Sorry, I've brought you on the show to then have to talk about a rather sort of depressing topic. But as uh, regular listeners will know, we've obviously been talking about the election in, in Bavaria since the start of the year. I made a, a pretty awful prediction uh, that didn't come to pass, unsurprisingly. But the results are in. The election was on uh, was just yesterday, on Sunday, and uh, it's not great reading for anyone who is a sort of mild mannered voter. It's Bayern, uh, along with Hesse, have seen a, a depressing rise in support for far-right parties. The AfD in particular, but the Freie Wähler uh, have also had uh, a lot of success in, in Bavaria. The results, as are, I think this is from just yesterday, but we're, they're not specifically exact results, perhaps, but these are the results as they are. The CSU are on uh, 30, well, well, we're on 36.4%. Uh, AfD are the second biggest party in Bayern with 16%. Freie Wähler came third with 15.3%. Uh, the Green Party uh, came in with about 15%, I think it is. And SPD, roughly about 8 9%. And the FDP uh, are not too surprising for most people who've been following uh, what's been happening in Bavaria, have failed uh, to get into Parliament. Uh, they got 2.8% or roughly about 3% overall so what this means is coalition discussions that's the big one csu are currently discussing with the friar Vela whether they can form a coalition government uh, the friar Vela are pushing to have um, headed by everyone's least favorite politician hubert eivanger he is pushing for more powerful positions for his his team uh, so there's a bit of uh, horse trading going on there and even though the Green Party have said, we're, we're here if you want to form a coalition with us, uh, it doesn't look like the CSU are going to take them up on that offer. Possibly one of the only promises the CSU will be keeping uh, from their <laughs> manifesto. Some, I, I guess, sort of broadly positive news is uh, you're in Munich, Kate. That's right. Yeah. Munich has gone effectively green, as has Augsburg, my city. So that's something that's good, I guess. I mean, I'm not sure how much you've been following the election, but yeah, how do you feel about those results? They're not massively surprising. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've only been back in the country now for seven months. So um, I feel like I've kind of missed a lot as far as the the recent political developments, also during the rest of COVID and stuff. But um, I mean, I completely agree also what you and Dilly have been saying on the show. 
lately is just how how scary the the continued strength of the AFD is in all of the country, but also here in Bavaria. I think it just shows so much fear in the people in a large section of the population of things that they don't know about, you know, things, other people, fear of other people, fear of the future. So, and mm-hmm. I think th- those are fears that have to be addressed in, in new ways. Yeah, there's a, uh, there was a lot of statistics coming out. And it's, it's one of those things I kind of like and dislike about German elections is the statistics are, are quite are quite solid. Almost as soon as the, the, the kind of count is finished, you get all this data about why people voted the way they did. And there's been some quite depressing examples of, of kind of, people basically saying i think it was 85 percent of people who voted for the afd and buy and said well we don't care that they're a far-right party we like what they're saying mm-hmm. um and so that's that's not great um another kind of depressing statistic something i said to my wife over dinner yesterday i was like wait until we know who voted for what what age groups because if they're all older voters who voted for the afd then we might have like a Brexit. Tides will turn, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like a Brexit thing. I remember when Brexit happened, a lot of people were going, well, you know, a lot of the voters were over 70. By the time we get to the next election, you know, many of them won't be around. Won't be around like a very, to keep voting, yeah. Yeah, very odd kind of optimism. <laughs> we were, we were, it, was, it was quite crazy times in 2016, I appreciate. But actually, as it turns out, I think it was 18% of 18 to 33-year-olds voted for the RFD and a similar number and the next age bracket up, I think that was something like 33 to, to 50. Uh, so there is there is a core of, of young voters who are voting for this party. But what is it? Are they scared of not getting a job? Are they not getting Bildungsplätze? Are they not getting um, here internships and educational opportunities? What is it? That's, is it fear of their neighbor who doesn't look like them? I think there's an element of that. I mean, it's... It, you obviously uh, coming from America, me coming from Britain. There was things that we would recognise from votes uh, from the elections in 2016, um, or the referendum in the election in, in the US in 2016, of voting patterns that are similar. Cities have generally gone for more left of centre parties. Uh, Munich and Augsburg being two examples. Uh, small towns have gone for more far right parties. Uh, my wife's sort of not home hometown so much, but there's these sort of um, regional areas that they collect together and several villages will be will be kind of collected into one municipality. And the the, the sort of her rural municipality is, is is the part of Bavaria that voted most for the AfD. Mm. So there's a lot of rural voters voting uh, for far right parties. And the the sort of the fears that people have are the economy, I think is generally number one but not far behind is immigration and those seem to be the two big big kind of talking points for people so again it's not something that i think we wouldn't recognize from our own kind of experiences sure yeah well and and with the with the ukraine crisis it's not Mm -hmm. also not not surprising that those fears are 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 being stoked yeah i think someone said to me this morning that uh Oh well, eighty percent of people didn't vote for the AfD. <laughs> it's like, Aren't you happy? Silver lining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a factual, accurate thing to say, but you know, still, uh, it's not really warming the cockles of my heart. But yeah, so it's it's been it's been quite chastening, I think, for a lot of people to realise what's been going on and the results of which I think as well we've got there's a lot of fallout. I've been reading. It's this thing that German media do, uh, German language media especially does, where the think pieces come rolling out as soon as the sort of election results happen, especially when it comes to the AfD. Um, a lot of chin stroking and going, oh, 
what is it that we're not doing? Or maybe why is the far right on the rise? And I'm like, we've been asking that question for years. Yeah. Like, can, can someone just go like, here's a strategy for dealing with this <laughs> instead of. Well, and I think in, in Germany, as in certainly in the US, it's, I mean, it's much more extremist that the established parties aren't doing anything at all to, mm -hmm. to win those people, right? Mm -hmm. They're not, I mean, on the other hand, I mean, how can you win those people without completely bending over backwards and changing your agenda? I mean, that's, that's also not okay because then you become the AFD, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's that thing of, if, if immigration is a big issue, then, um, the, this was kind of what I was thinking. There's a lot of push, especially around refugees and asylum seekers. That's been, the, that was the big topic yeah. leading into the election, um, amongst other things. But my thought was like, all it takes is a village that has no people of color in it. And for yeah. two people of color to move into that village for people to suddenly go oh immigration's going out of control and i think it, it's so stark in that way that it, it's very hard to kind of claw back those voters but um the other thing that kind of I, I i have been sort of thinking about a lot is yeah what does what does the government offer we're in this particular point where it does feel quite chaotic in, in berlin there was also an interesting point that somebody made on um i forget one of the talk shows that people, voters especially, are more willing to vote for extreme parties in regional elections than they are in national elections. So it could just be yeah. that people are like, I'll give them a go here, which seems a bit short-sighted. Even though isn't, isn't it the, the regional politicians who are going to impact your daily life mm -hmm. ultimately much more than the, the, the federal level? Exactly that. And I think as well, what you have is is a group of people or sixteen percent of the Landstag is going to be made up of 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 people who aren't really there to do the job. Like they don't really have anything to offer, but, but and I think this is something that Except to yell um, really loudly. <laughs> yeah. <Complain. I> mean, <laughs> the thing I've been thinking, I've been watching it's 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 sort of it's funny, it, it's that at the same time as all this has been happening, especially last week we've had the Tory conference and in, in, in Britain. And and you're just watching a, a party that was sort of centre right that has gone extreme right, and it's flailing, and people are on mass are, are choosing not to vote for it. There was a stat that came out today about sort of forty four percent of all the working class people who who did vote for them still support them, but the rest have like left on mass mm. essentially. And this idea that they've been shown to fail. Uh, they've been in power, they've been shown to fail, and now people are turning against them. And I was like, oh God, is that what we need to do? Does it? Do we have to have a kind of far-right party take over a state and show how awful they are before people go, oh wait, that's the like the vaccine, the inoculation against the far-right? Yeah, unless, unless what they get is what they want, you know? I don't, I don't know. But it is, I mean, look, looking at, like, comparing to other countries too, I mean, I think, you know, looking, like you said, the chin scratching, that's the question is, where is it going? Like, where's the arch? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, to say, okay, the AFG is going to stick with that 15% for the next, you know, 50 years. Mm -hmm. And of course, you, we, we both have young children. Of course, you think, well, where is this country going in that mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40 years? Because those political powers, they tend to go in waves, you know, you get, mm -hmm. the, you get the far right. And then, like you said, they fail. <laughs> Or whether the the left or whatever you know whatever side it is, and then they fail, and then the next the other side comes along and takes over and it tends to go in waves. So it's like, how far is this wave going to push before it goes um, back in the other direction? That's that's the question as well. And what what happens if the if the traditional sort of right of centre parties start to see their vote 
kind of dissipate how long before they go oh god we do need to make a deal with these people otherwise we will not be able to form a government right yeah it, it does seem there's a there's a crisis in right-wing ideas that isn't really noticed by people like the it does feel i haven't watched the campaign quite closely in bavaria and listened to the kind of the speeches made in nationally as well by the cdu they're not really offering anything they're not offering solutions it's very much like business as usual uh, oh we can't tax the wealthy oh no we can't we've got to sort of reduce inheritance tax you know can't sort of deal with these companies that are screwing us all over you know oh, we're not going to do that uh, we are going to sort of lower immigration for some reason not really any logic behind it i just feel like the sort of run out of ideas that's the thing that that worries me is when people begin to realize these ideas don't work we need sort of new ideas I'm not necessarily saying the green party or the spd or the fdb are, are the new ideas people but um wait so like can you run for political office in germany can i run for political yeah office? yeah what are the what are the what I think, qualifies you? i think as a german citizen i think i, I think i can oh yeah. god i'm gonna have to oh i mean it's so egotistical but i was like oh god this is the impetus to really start improving my german because i do feel like <laughs> there I, you I could, go I, I could wipe the floor with some of these idiots, but uh, <laughs> maybe not grammatically. I'll come to your speech. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking of David Hasselhoff when he had uh, he, he took Christian Lindner to task on on lands of I think it was like 2015 or something, and he had uh, the synchronization, and so there was like he would say he say these quite like sort of he was I mean it wasn't the greatest political debate you ever it's not Frost Nixon you know but um, he was sort of given Christian Lindner at what for but then it, there was like a delay while it was translated and then oh, no. the, the, the audience would go yeah yeah that's great <laughs> and I was like yeah we don't want to be that guy I don't think he gets elected but yeah and maybe it's an impetus to start Duolingo again but yeah um, so not great news but yeah we're not going to keep on this topic listener because God um, I, I feel bummed out enough about it as it is and oh, there's plenty of more interesting things to discuss so moving swiftly on yeah Kate so you uh, you moved back to Munich recently after a two-year stint in Las Vegas I do have to ask what brought you back it was the bread nothing but the bread. <laughs> I knew it obviously <laughs> I just got hungry yeah um, no seriously every German would love to believe that and honestly there is a ton of truth to that um, mm -hmm. No, it was really, in honest, all honesty, it was a combination of uh, job reasons and personal reasons, which really fit well together. It's nice when those two align, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. We had lived in Munich before, many years in Bonn before that, um, but really came to like Munich quite a lot. And uh, a job opportunity was still here. And um, yeah, the time in the U.S. was very, very valuable. We went there for our whole family to gain I, I needed to go back i really in like my deepest soul i needed to not like just spend my entire life in germany i moved to germany when i was 22 i moved to new york city to do my master's degree when i was 24 came back then to, i was there for a year and then i came back and i so i had spent so many years i i needed to go back to my country and just like see that American part of myself. And for my husband and our children, it was, they needed to have that cultural experience. We needed to be there. It was completely valuable. Um, and being there, we didn't know where it was going to go. We didn't know how long we were going to be there. I kind of magically thought we would get transported to San Diego, which is uh, the city I, I was not raised in, but I was born in. And I thought, oh yeah, of course we'll land there. And that didn't, that really didn't materialize. And it wasn't Las Vegas per se, even though Las Vegas is like living on Mars it was it was really the conclusion that 
for so many reasons, the U.S. is either my eyes changed from the 80s when I was growing up there, which I hope they did, <laughs> or um, the U.S. has changed so, so much. Um, and I'm not a political scientist. I know there are many people who can say many more intelligent things about that. But um, just so many things were, it just became clear that you can live an awesome life in the U.S. if you have a lot of money. For our family and our time right now, for our young children, we really needed to spend the next few years in Germany. And if coming to Germany, then it was going to be Munich, first of all, because we just really like it here and think it's a great place for, for raising children. And I think if I had to pick one thing, your question is what brought us back? If I had to pick one thing, it would be sort of the overarching topic of safety in the US. That was something I wasn't clear on until I lived there with, with children. I think it's a different perspective if you're alone, but with children, just the feeling of, okay, my kid could get shot at school. Mm -hmm. Of course, you mm -hmm. know that, you know that going into it, but the reality of being there, you know, with it, with your ch child or your children changes it. It makes it more real. And there was a shooting, shooting at an elementary school shortly after we moved there. Elementary school, okay, right? No. Not high school. And then just, you know, the way people drive, the paranoia associated with, oh, there was an arm break-in, you know, down the street. And you're like, okay, you know, that doesn't happen in Germany. That feeling. And then everybody, everybody gets security cameras. Everybody has this, like, thrives on this feeling of paranoia. And so it's, it's sort of both, like, literal safety and this sort of perceived safety. And realizing this topic of safety is going to cause me stress for the rest of my life here. <laughs> mm. um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that was basically, if I had to pick one word and one term, then it would be that. Oh, no, I think it, it totally makes sense. I was so reluctant to move out of the city and it wasn't like we were living in the center of Augsburg. It wasn't like it was downtown LA or anything, you know, but the difference between living in the sticks in, in Bavaria and living in a city is quite significant. Uh, that was my sort of mm. perception of it, open fields and all the neighbors know each other. And it, and it, it's, it's a little bit, I sort of make fun of my wife cause her family's like the Waltons. <laughs> um, so they're all like, they're just lovely, very nice pleasant people a, a, diff, a very different family culture than than mine my family are lovely as well but mad as a bag of cats and i think it's the once we got here and once my daughter got a bit older i was like all oh, right yeah no it is i like she can play outside you know i don't have those fears but obviously it's 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 it's, it's a it's a very different um environment from from the u.s well, take that, take that scenario. You send your child, let's say your first grader. I don't, I don't have a first grader quite yet, but soon mm. to school. They they ride their bike or they ride their scooter. They're alone. Like for a German, that's like no one would even think about it. Or so, yeah. let's say German in most in most locations, maybe not downtown Berlin or whatever. I don't know, but in many locations. But in the U.S., it's like okay, what are all things that can happen? They could get hit by a car. They could get kidnapped. That's a really big thing in the U.S. They could get. Whether it happens or not, people are terrified mm. of it. I, I don't know how often it actually happens, but people are terrified of it. They can get shot in a mm -hmm. whatever drive-by shooting, you know, like they're like just go down the list. Like there are tons of things that could happen, and then that's like a, a that's like a thing. Here, there's no thing. Like it just you just do. And and sure, there are cars here. Like like you know you, you have to teach your child safety rules and stuff like that. But it's not this like phenomenon of fear that sort of mm. exists in your life. I think as well that what I realized once we started going to the kindergarten is all the people who go to the kindergarten are like us. They all live around. And now we've got people who we walk past every day and say good morning to. And 
and and we again we know the neighbors we know a lot of people in the area they know because my daughter's got bright ginger hair and she's really loud uh, and she's also because i guess it's because we're the only english speakers in the sort of <laughs> or at least the, the 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 loudest english speakers in the area right and so she started speaking english so a lot of people know her just because she's the crazy ginger haired english kid that rides a scooter with a dad in the morning and so you feel like there's a lot of people who are like looking out for yeah for i can, can can relate to that yeah but again i watched the i think it was a, a video of a guy trying to walk to work or trying to no, trying to get um public transport to work in the u.s and like you had to cross an intersection because the path just didn't exist anymore there was no like footpaths the he couldn't cross the road because the the traffic light didn't work uh, for 15 minutes and he missed two buses and it just seemed like oh right you, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that just aren't functioning in the way they should be or the way people might might perceive and that alone would be annoying enough for me and that's i i never like that even when i was very young even in my 20s like i never i was never interested in I'm not, I'm a really bad German. I'm not, I don't have German citizenship. So I'm not a German, but I'm a very bad German. I don't like driving cars. And and I always knew that I knew moving back to the U S that I wouldn't like that. And I didn't like that. So I do like that here that you don't, it's almost not practical to have a car because um, you really don't, you don't, especially in the Munich area, you really don't need one. And I, I, I do like no. that. You know, you can ride a bike. We actually have one of those Babu bikes that carries mm-hmm. three children in it. Oh yeah, I haven't. Oh yeah, because you've got you've got three we, kids, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, we, 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 we get a lot of smiles and stares with that too. I've, I've, we haven't quite. Everyone keeps pushing me to get a bike. I've, I have. I hate cycling. I, I was hit by. <laughs> no one believes me when I say it, but I was hit by by three different cars on three different occasions when I when I was oh, young, wow. uh, and I've got a real like angst about cycling. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan, and I just just like walking. I like walking most places, and. And, and most places are quite accessible in that way. Well, I was actually just in, in, in your situation. I, I did have two small run-ins with a, with a car on a bike many, many years ago. And I'm also, I just don't like cars in general. So I also don't like necessarily participating in the traffic situation. But it's simply, a, it's kind of a must, like this bike thing. It's just like, how do you transport three children that are very close in age? Um, and we don't have a car right now for a whole variety of reasons and the bike you know it's also not super practical to have a car and the bike it's just for the for the short like journeys like to kindergarten mm-hmm. or whatever it's absolutely ideal i don't love taking it near cars with my three children in it but yeah you know if we were in a car you're also like facing the traffic situation too and that sort of potential danger in some way well i, th- I think munich's one of the better cities for for sort of traveling around on, on a bicycle it, yeah it, it, at yeah. least that's been my experience I, I can't say i've spent a vast amount of time in munich i've been there enough times to, to sort of notice it and i think munich as well uh, you, you obviously you were talking about las vegas and i can't think of two 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 further poles apart really <laughs> than vegas it's, and it's munich. hilarious isn't it it really is yeah <laughs> I've already been to Vegas once and I did, I was a tourist in Vegas, you know, I spent sort of two nights in the Flamingo, uh, which uh, I'll never, <laughs> oh God, I, someone said to me, oh, how's Vegas? Was it great? And I was like, never, I'm never going to go back. I've seen it and, and I felt kind of bad because I've the more I've watched a lot of TV shows about Vegas outside of the strip and we were just right on the strip and it's like living on Piccadilly Circus or like sort of live, living in the, the most chaotic part of the city and the, with the most sort of deranged stuff happening on a, on a regular basis. 
yeah, I just it's not it's not the same as, as living there, right? Well, I wouldn't have picked never in a million years would I have picked Las Vegas. Um, that mm. there was a job, the job my husband, the company my husband works for, there was a job opportunity there. And we looking into it, you find out, hey, it's actually a really big city with a lot of great family opportunities. Mm-hmm. And we lived in two locations. The second location was really great for families. It was really close to the incredible Red Rock National Park, which is gorgeous mm-hmm. hiking. Like we literally lived right next to this incredible like rock formation. But with like with greenery too, it wasn't that particular area wasn't completely like desolate. So there are some really nice areas and stuff and, you know, playgrounds, family activities and stuff like that. My kids love going to the library program every week and stuff like that. So I, I mean, I lived there for two years and just my situation with the little kids, you know, we didn't have, my parents live in California. I didn't have like babysitters, um, you know, next door. We didn't, I didn't go. I went to the strip like twice, but like in the morning, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never, I never made it vibe. Yeah, out for drinks and, and the show or whatever. That would have been mm. the cool thing to do there. It's just, it didn't, my kids were very young at the time. It, 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 it didn't happen. It didn't work out. Um, and I was, wasn't that interested in that kind of lifestyle at that point. So there, it does have a lot of pluses that people don't know about. I didn't know about sort of the beautiful part of the landscape, but everything mm. that you do is, is sort of assume about Las Vegas is also true. Like it is very just like, I don't know, do you use the word scuzzy? Is that like an old fashioned Yeah, I think that's uh, my, the, my abiding image of being in Vegas was seeing the uh, Siegfried and Roy, the big bust statue thing outside. I forget which casino it was, but there was this big brass like bust. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I've got to go and see that. So I crossed the road and walked up to it. And I, oh, it's plastic. And I was like, that's Vegas for me. <laughs> like down to the tea. Looks amazing at a distance. Absolutely. As soon as you get close to it, you're like, oh God, this isn't. This is not nice at all. And the more you drive around, it's like like human beings were never meant to exist on this little piece of earth. Like yeah, scorpions exactly. were. Human beings yeah. were not. Like they have a huge water problem. It is just the landscape is absolutely apart from the gorgeous like national park areas, like it's it's hideous. Like it's mm. asphalt and dirt. And it really it really does wear on you. And it's not even the it's not even sort of the natural parts of it, although those are also mm. quite bad. It's like, for example, everybody's yard is landscaped in rocks, but they're all the same color of rock. So everything oh, is right, the yeah. same color. <laughs> that that got tough. That got tough. It's like, I, I'm only seeing this one color of tan rock only and black asphalt and that's it. Yeah. Um, but there are, there are hummingbirds, for example. Germany doesn't have hummingbirds. I'm trying to find the oh, positive wow. things here. Um, that was gorgeous. You really you appreciate those things when you realize hmm. you're, or when you know you're going to move soon, you know? <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, we'll enjoy the hummingbirds for the next six <laughs> months. Fill your boots um, with hummingbirds. We'll enjoy the, <laughs> the beautiful red rock. Yeah. I mean, I get I bristle quite a lot when whenever I hear sort of very unnuanced opinions about about the US, because not to insult any German listeners, but I do encounter those quite often where German will be like, Oh, America's this, that, and the other. Yeah. And you're like, Have you ever been? And they're like, No. Well, have you ever been to these like 25 places? Because, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I grew up in California. I did mm-hmm. my undergraduate degree in Indiana, so mm-hmm. Midwest. I did my master's degree in New York City, uh, Manhattan. Um, and now I just lived in, in Las Vegas, which is at least four different regions. And they're all completely different from each other. You know, just those four. I mean, let alone, you know, you have the whole South and Northeast mm-hmm. and, you know, many, many other regions. But I think just the size, sheer size of it does... Of course, many things are very unified, 
and it is one culture, but it's also not. I mean, you could certainly argue the same thing for Germany too in a much smaller country. Oh yeah, very similar yeah. in that way. Yeah, for sure. The sort of stuff we've talked about, they're, they're a reality, but as much of, of as that is a reality, the dangers and the safety and the infrastructure issues, you've as you've mentioned the kind of the, the nature and like I, one of the best days of my entire life was the walking through uh the redwood forests and the uh, mm. pacific west coast or going to yosemite or going to grand canyon like those were yeah. moments that uh are just were breathtaking and you the scale of it and, and and all these things you're like oh right i have a much better understanding for american exceptionalism after seeing mm. the grand canyon yeah. You look at it and you're like, yeah. I've seen cathedrals in Italy, but my God, this is the most amazing thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah. And yeah. And, and you sort of, you, you get it. It's, 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 it's well, and what I think most Europeans don't, don't understand until they go and do it is the sheer space. Like just like yeah. so many things are impacted by the insane amount of space there is in the U.S., like mm -hmm. even empty space. Because like think of a country, you, you drive for days and you don't see a person. You don't even see a bush. And, you know, you expect the Americans to be as ecologically minded as the Europeans who have to live, mm. you know, on top of each other the whole time. Not that that's an excuse. I'm just saying that that's a, a, a possible explanation. It's like, well, we have mm. all of these resources, you know, not that that's an excuse to trash them, but it, 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 it impacts the mindset um, and just the, the feeling of grandeur, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think for, for me, like you mentioned, the beautiful things in California. You know, I, I also sort of had this very romantic idea of California, which I left at the age of 18. It was a very long time mm -hmm. ago now without revealing my true age. But I, I had this feeling of I need to go back to my American roots and not lose who I am. And I very quickly concluded, and I think I'm okay saying this on air, I very quickly concluded, you know, I spent my 20s, like very formative years by myself. I didn't, I came by myself to Germany, my first apartment ever. I rented in German spending hours with a, a physical paper dictionary, looking up every single word yeah, um, of the contract to, to sign the papers for that apartment. You know, I did all of these life steps in Germany in my 20s. And I really, very suddenly came to the conclusion that I had raised myself in Germany. I enjoyed a second raising. Mm -hmm. And that made it legitimate for me to accept I also have or gave myself roots in Germany. You know, that I wasn't losing anything, but I was quite legitimately both American and German. And that was a big deal for me to kind of realize that and not feel like, um, yeah, I was giving something up or kind of overlooking a, an important part of myself by coming back here and saying, okay, yeah, I can spend the rest of my life here in this country or let's say an indefinite period of time. I do think it's interesting, the idea of like of seeing if what it's like going back, because it's not, I, I, it's, it's something that I've resigned myself to, to never happen. My wife is very much, uh, um, our family's here and, and, and it's easier for me to be the one who moved than it would have been for her mm. for, for a variety of different reasons. And I mean, occasionally she sort of toys with the idea of, oh, maybe we can retire to the, the sort of the, the coast in, in, near Newcastle and, and buy a little house. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, but even then I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I love Britain. It's a big topic in my life because I, I teach about it. I teach English and, and, and I talk about British culture a lot and it's a big part of my life. But whenever I go back, a week's enough. Usually a mm. week's enough. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, this is great, but got stuff to do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah your back. life, your life is great. Yeah. But it, it would be interesting, you know, like, oh, could we, could we hack it? But there's so many phases in life though too. I mean, that's what I don't know exactly how long you've actually been in Germany for um how, how long 
12, 13 years, something like that? Yeah, okay, quite a, quite a long time. Not that every person goes through the same series of phases, but no, um, just life things, you know, whether obviously having children is a huge thing. Having a partner, you know, having a, having a spouse is a huge sort of obviously changing factor in, in where do I see myself? Where do I see my or our future then? And then I think also the political de- developments too, just realizing, okay, how do I feel in my country or in this country? Do I feel welcome? Do I feel like... You know, and I think another another thing is Germans are so big, Bavarians are so big on this whole Heimat thing. Yeah. I, I, I think for a long time I felt pressure too to be like, well, you have to sort of decide where, like, is it home? People ask, you know, oh, you like it there in Germany. Is it, does it feel like home? Well, like, well, I don't know. Like, does, do I do I have to decide what home is? Like, is that even a thing you have to have, a home? <laughs> like, you have to have a house or an apartment or a residence, you know, but... Are you like homeless then if you don't choose like your identity where your roots are? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, I get, I totally get what you what you're saying. Or can't you just say like I I'm happy to be here now, you know, and that's okay. Like, and I'm, I I might be happy to be someplace else in two years or in twenty years, but I don't know that yet, <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. You do feel a lot of external pressure to to do that for sure. Um, like what do you say when people ask you do you feel at home in Germany yeah I mean that's the, the, the external pressure of people saying like oh do you think it's home and I know it's a really innocent question but it, I think it opens it, it unpacks a lot for a lot of people and, it, and certainly for me it, I feel like it's hard to like give people a, an appropriate answer what's the appropriate answer there you know like like yes I, I feel at home and then you feel like sort of disappointing people um, or at least I did but you might also feel at home in your home country, even though you don't live there, and you might feel at home in both countries in different ways, you know, and that's hard. You can't explain that mm. to someone who, who's never lived in another country. But I think it's the same with identities. Like, I've come, I've found a semblance of peace after getting citizenship that I have two identities, I have two passports. Mm. Maybe it's the OCD thing of, like, I need official documentation or something. But certainly since having kids, like, I think once you go, like, oh, well, I've got children here, like that kind of negates the question almost. It's like, well, people have stopped asking me when are you, are you would you ever move back? Right, like people don't right. even ask that now because it's like, oh, well, you've got kids. Unless they don't really know me and they're just making sort of pleasant small talk. People with kids don't move. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but like it's that idea that sort of, for certainly for British people, there's a permanence to it. I don't know what it is about that dynamic because I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily the same experience when I... I speak to Americans, there's a difference in, I think maybe it's because Americans have a tendency to move a lot between states, Yeah, you know, and I think that might be, might be part of it. But the idea of, of, I always make the joke of like, well, Germany's where I keep my stuff. Mm. So it's like a way of kind of avoiding giving a serious answer. But I think, again, I, I do go back to the kids because it's, I don't think we could achieve the things in Britain that we've achieved here in the sense of like my daughter's grasp of two languages is a good example i think she would have been under a lot of pressure to not speak german in public in britain and i think my wife would have spoken less german in public and her english would be impeccable and then she'd maybe not really have as many as much german but because the the roles are reversed my only sort of pressure when it comes to speaking english with her is like she's not one of those people who has a english-speaking parent but has no understanding of the culture of which their parent mm. comes from 
and that that does have a negative impact in, on me because for instance my german it has, gets ropier every week because i speak less and less and i speak more and more english at work with her I, that's not necessarily a negative if anything it's it's got to be a positive for, for her development but i just don't think it would be the same she would have developed in the same way that contributed to our move as well it, it was exactly, very right? clear exactly. i think it wasn't t- as clear as it then became beforehand that our kids would not be fluent in german if we lived in the u.s they would understand german of course but not speak it fluently it would have been a huge challenge and here in germany i think it's not a problem at all now they're still quite uh, americanized right now they're all very 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 fluent in english it's the, the german is still coming they understand everything but there it's the matter of well the, the my two three-year-olds are learning all words anyways my older son uh, is gaining confidence in, in speaking what's already in his head um, and here it won't be a problem as you say i think to to achieve mm. bilingualism mm-hmm. but i think it's the the bilingualism that the, the coming from two different cultures having a foot in each world i think that's such a it's such a gift for kids and and i, I kind of regret not having that opportunity but i mean why would i with two british parents i mean there's unless they packed us off to some random like country which was never going to happen but i think it's a real it's a real gift that you can give kids and i'd feel horrible if i felt like i had taken that away from them for the sake of like oh well i feel comfortable because i live in, mm-hmm. yeah. in, in britain i just think they would have a worse time i think they'd have a worse time educationally i think they'd have a worse time I think socially it, they would have a blast because it's Newcastle's a fantastic city and I wouldn't live anywhere else other than Newcastle. And the culture is very specific. It's something that they would really get something out of, but it feels like it's it's the north of, well, it doesn't feel like it's the north. It is the north of England. It is the forgotten part of the country. It's the bit that people just sort of ignore. There's Manchester and then there's Scotland, you know, and they don't have the opportunities. And it's why I ended up in Germany was, when I finished university, my choices were uh, move to China for a year, uh, move to London, become a solicitor, or move to Germany. And like two of those options were quite appealing. And one of them definitely wasn't because it was no, wasn't just the fact it was our, the big smoke, London, the South, all of that. It was like, no, just a, I know that's a no from me. Thanks. I don't want to live in sort of impoverished surroundings with wealth on my doorstep. And to deal with a lot of people who are like sort of just making fun of where you come from, mm. which is generally my experience of, of London and the South. And then coming to Germany, it's like, and I don't know how you feel about this. It kind of feels like a superpower almost. The fact I speak English was way more impressive to people, not, not just because I was a native speaker, but you'd been taught by a native speaker that impressed people having the qualifications I had were, were really impressive to employers my attitude to kind of my approach to life and being kind of outgoing was really appreciated by it was seen Mm. as like a novel and interesting thing and i felt like maybe i don't necessarily belong there is a little bit of othering going on there but it's it's got more elements of home than even i would have imagined I completely understand with, uh, what you're saying. I feel like looking back and really looking back with the full honesty of, you know, age, whatever, um, that really contributed to why I came to Germany, why I moved out of the country in the first place many, many years ago, you know, um, over, over 20 years ago now, is feeling like I didn't quite fit in in my, uh, my home surroundings for whatever reasons. I played classical music. I was not, I got good grades. I was like really not the cool kid. You know, I wasn't 
didn't go to like all the fun parties and whatever. You know, I, I had other interests, you know, and then I didn't, I felt like I didn't fit in. And then you come and you're a foreigner and you don't fit in. But that's sort of, that's, that's the, it's like embracing this identity. And then because you don't fit in, then you become cool again because you're exotic, you know? So I guess I came to Germany to be cool, right? Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of like I mean I don't know I don't think I've ever been cool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, that's not the word. <laughs> it's okay to be different. It's okay to be different. Yeah, yeah, that, that was definitely. I mean, I was always really aware. Oh, like I'm really privileged. The opportunities I've had and the ability to do what I've done, and you kind of there was a period of of my life where I kind of felt embarrassed, maybe or like i didn't want to talk about it too much i still do this when i go back to britain and people go oh how's germany and i'll go oh i'll do the british thing i've gone oh well you know the taxes or like oh the bureaucracy because <laughs> i don't want to and I, i've said this to a few people i don't want to go i fucking love it it's the best decision i ever made you should all do it too and then be become a bit evangelical about it because i know what british people are like they're like oh fucking east change you know <laughs> go what's so, what's be, so bad about here cool. yeah. <laughs> exactly and that was something i'd faced but in a, in, in, a in, in sort of other places where people go like well why are you moving and i'm like well why wouldn't i you know <laughs> or, or i get the question like which place is better i'm like well it's sort of it's sort of not about that you know no i mean maybe it is now i guess i mean that was that was hard about our, our recent move is actually literally having to say okay i'm, I'm deciding against a place and for another place because mm -hmm. in the past i could always say well i never i never decided against my country i just the world was small and i wanted to go live in it you know this was more of a very thought out like um pros and cons kind of kind mm -hmm. of decision that was that made it harder definitely i i don't think i would have been and stayed in britain regardless of whether i'd met my wife at university or not because of the way my sort of my teenage years developed and i ended up living in a place that wasn't newcastle for a long time i lived in scotland for almost a decade what i didn't appreciate at the time when that happened and i only really appreciate now is that what it gave me was the ability to not feel like i should stay in one place for other people yeah. which i think a lot i think is it is it is can be an element for a lot of people in their thinking is oh well what if i don't make friends you know well i, I didn't have any friends and then i did you know it's like well what if i can't speak the language and i'm like well i'll move to scotland and i'll be frank i didn't understand a word anyone said for two weeks and i remember those two weeks there was such an informative two weeks where i was like i don't even understand what they're saying you know like and obviously it's very different eventually i did but it's and, and eventually i have here you know like my german's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but i can listen to the radio and understand it i can read the signs around us you know i, I can i can have conversations so it, it, it sort of opened my eyes in that respect but like it, it can just be all a bit too much and so i do understand when people kind of go i'm gonna go back you know or, or, or i've got friends who have like moved moved back to britain eventually and they're perfectly happy and they're like coming out again but it's just for me, it's like, well, well I've made my bed now. <laughs> Might as well sleep in it. <laughs> but everybody's situation is so different. You know, you can't say yeah, well, this course, country course. is better than that country, you know, and everybody or this place, you know, look at every country and every city is so different. You know, I say, well, if we had landed in San Diego and, you know, had the money to afford it, maybe we would have stayed whatever, you know, whether it was a tiny town in Vermont or, mm -hmm. you know, you come to Germany in some... Uh, whatever other city xyz and say well this is this isn't nice you know mm -hmm. um, everybody has their own experience their own reasons their own situation
As I mentioned at the top of the show, Kate has a book out. The Girl with 20 Fingers, which is set in Munich and concerns the relationship between a young woman and an elderly widower. It covers a lot of topics from uh, music, imposter syndrome, facing your past, with a little bit of redemption thrown into the mix. So, Kate, I really want to pick your brains over this book. So, apologies for the rather bland opening question, but I do want to sort of ask, uh, could you tell us a bit about the book? I'd be happy to. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, the great introduction to the book. So um, uh, well, you gave a great summary. So it's about an American who has completely failed. Now, I hope that I'm assuming that many of your listeners can relate to the experience of like having this really big dream and you just have this experience, like something happens and it just like shatters in front of your eyes. And that's what the protagonist in the book experienced. Um, she's a classical pianist, uh, from California. Oh my goodness. Some parallels there, um, to my own story. Okay. Anyways, I'll keep going. Um, she bombs a really imp important performance on stage of a Mozart piano concerto. She basically divorces her instrument or breaks up with the piano. She's completely devastated, changes her life, moves to Munich, gets a different job working as the editor of a food magazine, even though she's completely not into food. She feels like an imposter. And then one day she walks into a music store kind of searching for the music to the piece that that screwed up her life and she meets this really old german guy who's kind of like old and crotchety and he basically says well you know i have what you're looking for i have the the score that the piece of music that you're looking for why don't you come by and get it from me I'll, I'll give it to you and um so she does and then she comes in and finds out he's got this incredible grand piano with a uh, fascinating history to it it's a bechstein um grand piano very old and ultimately they meet once a week they wind up meeting to play mozart which is the composer mm. that, that screwed her over and through getting to know his story his background his um the mystery sort of behind his his childhood and um, his wartime experience, his sort of amateur love of music brings her back to appreciate the music that she could only enjoy at a very professional level and that was taken away from her. So it's, it is redemption, as you said, that finding her path back to music. You mentioned uh, earlier that you, you, you played classical music. So I couldn't help but wonder um, how much of this is based on like your own experiences. And, and what I'm really asking is, can you play Mozart? <laughs> <laughs> so I picked Mozart because playing Mozart is really a bitch. Like everybody thinks, well, I don't know if everybody, if you, if you're a musician, you probably know that Mozart is a lot harder than it sounds, but that's sort of the point is that Mozart sounds easier than it is. And the Mozart can be really hard because it's a very um, naked, you know, a lot of it is very minimalized and that makes it feel every, every mistake can be easily heard. You can't cover over a lot. Like you could maybe in a more uh, like, uh, French composer, <laughs> that kind of situation. So yeah, can I play Mozart? Um, so I, my bachelor's degree is in piano performance um, from Indiana University. So I played at a, a fairly high level. I played the classical piano through my youth and college, and that was my dream to become a concert. That was my plan. That was my only plan to become a concert pianist. And then, yeah, it didn't work out. It didn't have the same, like, bomb the Mozart performance of the concerto that um, happened in the book. That was fictionalized. Um, although I did play a Mozart concerto with orchestra, and that, that um, concert went decently, I'd like to remember, at least in my memory. <laughs> um, no, but that career just didn't materialize for me because that's, a, that's an area where you're either, like, extremely excellent and you know as my as my piano teacher said when i was 12 he said kate if you were going to become a concert pianist you would be one 
already. And that's like the worst devastating thing you can say to a 12 year old who comes to the lesson and says, or maybe I was 14, I don't remember, but it comes to the lesson and says, oh, I just decided I'm going to become a concert pianist. And he says, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> but in the end, he was right. If you're not one with at the age of you know 12 or 14 already, then um, mm. you're not going to become one. And that's just how that world works. Brutal. I mean, is that the first brush with German directness? Um, Sadly, he wasn't German, but could have been. Could have been. But yeah, I think I I just there was there was a lot of things that that came out of of the book. I think are really interesting. The imposter syndrome, I think, is one as well. This kind of escape to a different country, arriving and then going like, "What the hell am I doing?" You know, like. Uh, that, that definitely resonates. Well, the imposter syndrome that you mentioned has a lot to do with the home identity thing we were just talking about. Um, mm. I think because when you do something at an intense level like that, like for me, I had this very strong identity that it's my major at university. Like I, I am a pianist. Like that is what I am. And then suddenly I'm not, you know, so then what am I, you know, and then you do a job, another job. And it's like, well, I'm not that, you know, and then at what point do you say, well, I am this, you know, I still have a hard time with labels because I, I'm not that, I'm not, I, I'm not that, that I started off being, you know, and I, I kind of struggle with those labels. And I think um, that imposter syndrome is also part of like growing up and sort of filling many roles and kind of understanding that it's not that big of a deal. Like you have to wear many hats in your life and you will go through many, many phases, usually unless you are, you know, the, the top of your profession or whatever, then, you know, maybe you're the, the superstar uh, track athlete for the rest of your life or whatever. And you have one hand and one label, but in most cases there are phases and you are many, and um, that doesn't have to mean that you're an imposter. It means you're passing through. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's so true. You sort of, there's this sort of step-by-step approach. I mean, I, I always admire those people who have a, a natural talent or the dedication for something like piano is a good example, like to sort of learn a skill and practice it and sort of know it inside out because it's something that, I mean, I've, I, I've never really, I've never really sort of had any natural, <laughs> such a crap thing to say. I've never had any natural skills, but it just feel like a lot, a lot of the things, a lot, a lot of the skills I have were never really. I think you have a talent for speaking. Like, well, that's, that's it. That was the only you're thing. You're pretty was, good at this podcasting. With, yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose it's lovely for you to say that. But the uh, it was like p- piano is like a tangible sort of skill, isn't it? You know, and 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 it wasn't something that I was ever really. I never really had something that I could kind of. I'm I'm, I'm I talk good, you know. <laughs> it was sort of, and it was never really appreciated by 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 a lot of people. Certainly not by employers, and and listeners know this i think as well but like it's no surprise that i ended up becoming a lecturer like that was the obvious route i remember saying to my, my one of my lectures at university i, I want to do your job not in a kind of egotistical like oh, i'm going to take over your job but i was like i love i love the university i love academia i love studying I love reading and all these things and, and i'm good at talking and like i could see myself doing this job but then when i arrived in germany it was like oh that dream is dead now like I am never going to work in a German university because German universities speak German and my German's never going to be good enough. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to work as a business English teacher for, for so long. And every day I worked that job, pretty much, I felt, I felt like I was out of place. I felt like hmm. I don't belong in this job. And it was only in the pandemic where my wife pushed us to apply for a job at a university. And then I got the job at the university that I was like, holy shit, this, this is it, you know? But it did feel like that 
like step by step, you know, the many hats thing you were saying before you were sort of doing this, doing that, trying to find some kind of who, who am I, you know, and what am I doing with, with myself? And sometimes it takes that detour to find your way back to that, that dream that then like manifests itself maybe in a completely yeah. different way than you had initially thought. And having that experience is so useful as well going forward because you appreciate slow build you appreciate the sort of doing things you don't necessarily want to do because you don't know where it'll lead to and i think that opens a lot of a lot of avenues certainly more than than if you were like i'm only going to go in this direction i did i did that and then i did this and i went here and now i'm there and then kind of where i want to be and i think i think that's something that that's really like you hit the nail on the head on on, on that front I, I think that's a really um an observation but also a kind of topic that I imagine a lot of people who have been in our positions have, have, have sort of had as well yeah um, I mean which leads us to sort of the next question like you do cover a lot of issues that immigrants to Germany face did you find like writing about those topics particularly cathartic absolutely and you know I, I tackled this as my first novel I I'd always wanted to write a book and never felt like like ever since I learned to read, basically ever since I learned the alphabet, I, I, I had this dream of, you know, writing or publishing a book, probably as many authors do. And I never had this idea. I had a novel, a whole, the whole format. Oh, that's just like, how do you like think of a story? And then it just, the time, it just worked out the time and the story just came together and kind of, it kind of felt like it wrote itself. And I felt like I needed the, this first book to really be very personal it might be too personal in some mm -hmm. spots, but <laughs> but to be very much like from my own experience, very much as fictionalized. Although I, I worked with an editor who was like, Kate, I realized reading the book, I realized that it's like a, um, what was the word he used? Um, like, a, like a mourning process. And that makes it sound really depressing because I don't, it was not meant written to be a depressing book of like separation, like mourning the loss of the piano in your life. Um, and it was not meant to be like a sad book because it's very much of a, I would call a life affirming book. It's, uh, has a very sort of positive messages and, and, uh, you know, very sort of, yeah, a lot of affirmation and stuff, but I had to admit that he was right in the end, that uh, a lot of it was a sort of a grief process in a way for me, even though the results of going through grief can be something very positive. So yeah, it was cathartic, both dealing with the piano issue, but also dealing with kind of working through some of those issues or, or sharing things that I had already worked through as far as like just your identity of, of living in a country that's not your own. And in this book, she chooses to go back to the U.S. And I wrote the book before um, we moved to the U.S. And it was dealing with those issues of, you know, do I fit in here? Is this my home? Is this my forever home? And kind of her deciding I don't have to sort of relish this being the outsider. You know, I had found so much sort of false security in that, which we were kind of talking about before. So I can go back to my home country and feel at home there too. You know, and now that's changed for me. Now I'm back here in this country, you know, but that's part of that story. Um, and yeah, that was definitely cathartic, I think, in a way. One of the things I was thinking about is like, uh, especially writing about quite personal experiences and, and, and sort of living in Germany, that there must have been like a catalogue of kind of embarrassing incidents and sort of things that happened to you when you, when you lived in Germany. And like, I was, I was thinking about like, oh God, like imagine like 
did you just go through like did you like list off all the crazy stuff that's happened and go well no one's gonna believe that <laughs> no one's gonna believe this i can't consider that it's, like I, I think about a lot of the things that are so unbelievable like stupid situations or stupid bits of communication or daft moments or like just unbelievably wonderful moments as well that almost like i, I feel like you can't really tell people because they, they might not really believe that, that they actually happened did you have a lot of that I felt I feel like starting a list of that, like for future books of being like, okay, where's my list of like 87 most embarrassing moments as an American in Germany? <laughs> Do you have that list already or is that that's your podcast? <laughs> I mean, it's basically the podcast, but I mean, the, the blog as well. I mean, it's like a lot of that's based on just the dumb things or dumb situations that I tend to find myself in. And so the, the, that's probably the most um, sort of comprehensive list of, of, of idiocy that, that I've achieved over over the the decade but a lot of a lot of things that come up are the the sort of observations that only uh, you know a non-german would have like the whole silly house shoe thing you know or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. also a lot of observations about celebrations you know things like zag martin and the you know there's there are no children in the book but you know she'll notice the lanterns bobbing down the street you know that's just sort of this this beautiful thing that a german might take for granted but uh, a a newcomer or an outsider would Mm -hmm. would recognize and appreciate at that moment well, I think as well that, that because we live in these communities of, of uh, uh, I'm sure you have friends who are from the US who live in Germany, or, and I've got friends from Britain, and, and or, or, or communities online and things like this. There's things that are like cliche things that that in our lives as immigrants in Germany, like sort of food, or like you said, St. Martin's Day, or like things you just don't appreciate is weird anymore. That when you actually put them down and present them to other people who don't live in Germany, they're like fascinated by it. Well, like one thing is like, you know, my, my, my children pointed it out too. It's like, you know, the, the uh, Finstaff Kip, you know, that the, the, the windows, like, I don't, exactly. know, I don't even know yeah. how it is in the UK, but the windows fall on you. That's actually something that she points out that's pointed out in the book as well. Cause that's one of those things that I don't, I forget, forget about it now, you know, but mm. when I first moved to Germany, I literally did think the window was going to fall on me and I did live in Eidsbau mm. and it literally did fall on you. Know? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's, I've had exactly it's the, that It's experience. the weirdest yeah. phenomenon. It just simply doesn't exist in the US. Well, I, whenever I have family over to, to stay, I kind of like, I just pepper them with questions like, whoa, what did you see that was interesting? Or Because you can't get that back, you know, and, 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 and it's kind of impressive that you, you, you've managed to sort of pick these things out. Mm. It, is that like, it's, it's very hard to see Germany through the eyes that I had back in 2011, you know, and so... I mean, did you, again, is it like one of those things where it's, yeah, you really haven't a struggle to think about like, oh, what was it like so yeah. long ago when I was moving? And- it, it was, and that was refreshing to sort of put myself back in those shoes. Although it was important mm. for me, you know, I had done so much of that, the Meet the Germans program for Deutsche Welle, or then I had my own YouTube channel for many years with the those Germans content, which was a lot of like, you know, a little bit, a little bit quirky. I don't want to say, you know, humorous or a little bit on the quirky side, a little bit sort of tongue in cheek. And I really wanted to kind mm-hmm. of, close that chapter and and move on this you know this book is categorized as literary fiction and and take a take sort of a i don't want to say serious look but a kind of a more yeah i guess a more literary look at um Mm -hmm. some of some of the differences without being like oh this is so silly necessarily you know or this is so funny but looking at it in a more sort of reflective way and i think that was that was that was fun for me that was interesting for me to kind of revisit some of those topics just from Mm -hmm. a new perspective well, it's just like this is the reality, right? It's yeah. it's like Saint Martin's Day is quirky and weird, but it's also real, and it's a and thing that yeah. happens. And yeah. and uh, or the the house shoe thing is 
it's it's always hilarious it'll always be hilarious because they just look ridiculous in my mind and they'll never there'll be one of those things where like that has now there's one or two things that have never changed but for a lot a lot of ways we sort of adjust to these environments maybe through necessity but also because because you sort of want to you know? and it was important for me to sort of bring those elements into the book as little tiny side tidbits you know without making them the main story you know it's not a book about like a foreigner living in germany but it also mm. is because that's sort of those are sort of the side elements that you know kind of enrich the story obviously music is a, a mozart is a big part of the book and it's a big part of this this story of this young woman but like did you find it tricky to kind of it's not a <laughs> Reading isn't a musical medium, right? So how like how did you find like kind of writing about the music? How did you approach that? Um, that's a thank you for asking that question because that was actually what made it such a, a, a joyful but also cathartic uh, uh, process. I really listened to every piece, and I I write very specifically about many specific pieces, but also songs. It was really important to me to to really present music. That was sort of the unique selling point for me of the book is like being okay. This is something I know about. Like I can. I can describe in a professional way like this piece of music. And and a lot of it is Mozart's works for piano forehands. If you're a piano student, every young piano student will play these things. But let's say the average, let's say, enjoyer of music or classical music won't necessarily hear them. They're not like concert works. Um, so many of them I, I describe in a very like detailed way, which was sort of fun for me to try to tackle as you say the um the musical aspect from a literary perspective but it was also important for me that the main character was not just this like classical music nerd but she has broad musical tastes and to make it i really approached the book from an oral perspective of like sort of a listening work that you kind of think about all of these works and and so they're like it's things like okay which piece of pop music is being played in the background or what does she just press play on on her um, on our playlists or they're all different kinds of, or what music comes out of the car stereo from down on the street, you know, and whether it's Kanye West or whether it's Damien Rice or, you mm. know, it reflects my own personal taste in music. But, um, you know, I tried to get a really wide mix of all different genres in there to really kind of expand that musical enjoyment. And I really wanted, my dream was to have the book published as an ebook with basically like a soundtrack playing at the same time. Right, interesting. Yeah, yeah, of course, that's, you know, like, find somebody to do that for you. Although there is a soundtrack. So every piece of music was, I made a list, and the publisher, like, has published a, like, soundtrack on, like, SoundCloud. So it's basically mm. just a, um, or a playlist, I should say. Soundtrack's the wrong word. Um, a playlist. So basically a list of the works that mm. are mentioned in the book. So that's something, at least. Yeah, the, the the sort of last thing I wanted to, it's, it's still a sort of music-based question, but the last thing I wanted to ask about is, were you listening to these songs while you were writing? Like, is that something you do? You listening to the, the music and then yeah. writing them? Yeah. Right, okay. But like, were you only listening to Mozart or were you also listening to other stuff oh, yeah. as well? Oh, no, to all of it, all of it. Because music, music creates what? It creates a feeling in you. And that's the mm. same thing that books should do, you know? So it's sort of like taking that musical feeling and like translating it into, into words in a way, or letting it, letting yourself be inspired, like letting that kind mm. of like flow happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. I always find like when I'm writing, I need like, I, I need songs without lyrics for a start. I can't write when I hear lyrics that sort of breaks me slightly, but, um, the other thing is it needs to be like really intense. <laughs> mm. like, I'm like, maybe I just need to listen to more relaxing music. Have you got any recommendations then for? for uh, well, don't try Mozart. Like... He might screw up your life. 
Uh, okay well kate thank you for joining us nick uh, it's been a pleasure thank you it has been it's been lovely uh kate's book the girl with 20 fingers is out now Uh, as i said uh you can find it on bookshop.org uh us and uk amazon uh, laser zeichnen you'll find the links in the show notes german amazon too Uh, uh yeah oh yeah german amazon as well sorry and uh yeah um uh, yeah it was lovely having you on thanks very much thank you That brings us to the end of the show. Boy, am I happy I didn't have to talk about fruit this week. Um, get well soon, Dilly. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, or lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algamer, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss!